Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Infinite Jest Book Club um, podcast, fellowship, support group, um, etc. Um, and we're gonna we're we're kind of calling an audible here um, because we did the first. A uh, section of the book, but we didn't record it because I'm not too bright. Um, and just having that not there bothered me a lot more than it bothered both of you, I'm sure. But uh, I thought we would rectify that. Um, so I asked my friend Liz if she was free, and she is. Hi, Liz. What's up, Jamie? Nothing. Liz is in Germany. <laughs> Hence the yeah. echo. Um, so yeah, we um, just wanted to just kind of fill in the gaps because obviously the first chapter is so, so incredibly important. Um, and we're going to get to the first chapter in one moment. But as I was thinking back about the last podcast we did, it kind of hit me in the face Um how idiotic it was like not to mention um the scene in the garage with himself and his father is by and large i believe i think it's safe to say that this section that we're going to talk about today as well as everything else that happens in the book while may maybe not directly descended from that garage scene, it is certainly that garage scene is the cradle from which all of this comes. Um, Hal's grandfather trying to instill in Hal's father that he's going to be a great tennis player. Um, we know that himself was not a great tennis player, but we do know that himself was out there drilling Hal, you know, drunk off his ass, uh, you know, at five in the morning so that Hal can become a great tennis player. Um, and it's mentioned in the book in the section that, that we covered last time that Hal is kind of making another leap here towards greatness. Um, so Hal may be the incandenza that fulfills the prophecy or the dream of three generations ago. Um, and the last thing I'll say about that, just so that I feel better, the, the line um, about that this may be a tragedy I'll find. Um, okay. Oren, Mario, and Hale's late father was revered as a genius in his original profession without anybody ever realizing what he really turned out to be a genius at, even he himself at least not while he was alive, which is perhaps bona fidely tragic, 
but also as far as Mario's concerned, ultimately all right, if that's the way things unfolded. Um, I think that this sentence might go right to the heart of the matter of the book. Like, Liz, how would you feel if I said, you know what, what's really weird and what's hard about Liz? She's so fucking brilliant at so many things. I don't even know what she's best at. Would you say that's a tragedy? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, actually, I would take it as a compliment. Yeah. But yeah, but it is as far as like legacy goes or having that thing that you know is like your driving sense of purpose. It kind mm -hmm. of just murky, like muddies all of those waters and just throws you upside down a bit. But that's the bane of like, of uh, in incredibly intelligent people, I think, like, which is, yeah, what can make it so hard to live with such a brain and to feel, to feel fulfilled in your life. I think it ends up being the demise of a lot of people. Totally. Obviously. Yes. Yes, totally. Um, and it, it definitely is born from that garage conversation, right? Um, Hal's grandfather says, I'm finally moving back to California to give acting one more shot, which is what in life we all need to at least once put everything behind our passion and say, you know, and it might be rent be damned. You know, I'm, uh, have you ever heard the expression burn the boats? I've never heard that. What does it mean? There, um, sometime in history, um, and I forget the names, but basically someone, they, they said, Hey, you're going to go to this Island. Maybe it was Cuba. And you're going to liberate Cuba. You're going to go there and you're going to fight the fight and whatever. So what this general did when they got there, he burned all the boats so that they couldn't leave. Yeah. Um, commit. And, you got to commit fully. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I kind of feel like that's what himself's father is saying. Um, but, but yeah, that, that section just like, it is totally in Candenza. I, I Where think, is it? Which um, part for the it, people it listening? Is, uh, yeah, that's awesome, Liz. Um, it's in the book. <laughs> um, you it's just read in, this quote. Yeah, it's in the um, section with uh, from 1960 with himself. Yeah. And in terms of page, I think oh, it's it the garage door. It's 157. Perfect. It's Thank in there. You. Okay, cool. I just didn't know what section that was. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I think that is definitely an incandenza type thing where only the incandenzas would maybe say that, yeah, it's really a fucking tragedy because when himself died, he knew that he had created annular fission. He knew that he had created this thing. He made a boatload of money with the Department of Defense. 
he, you know, married a hottie and started a tennis school and he did this, 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 and this, and this, but he didn't live to see whatever. And what a tragedy. I don't think so. Um, but the end of this line, I think might be the best proof ever that Mario is not himself's child. Um, because what, what does he say? Eh, if that's the way it worked out, uh, which is perhaps bona fidely tragic, but also as far as Mario's concerned, ultimately all right, if that's the way things unfolded. Um, so yeah, that has kind of been, been bugging me that we didn't, that I didn't mention that or that we didn't kind of see that. Um, but that is, that, that is most certainly the, the impetus, um, you know, for everything that follows either directly or indirectly. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest, Liz. (laughs) Good, good. Cool. Um, all right. So, uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, so as you know, we start in the year of glad, um, you said something funny right before we started recording Liz about maybe, you know, coming to this at the end or, you know, just inserting it somewhere. Um, and as I started reading this again, just in the 150 pages that we've covered since it is amazing the difference in meaning. Um, so, so it was funny that you mentioned that because I was even thinking that it may even make sense to revisit it after every five chapters, um, because it, it certainly does mean different things. Um, so, uh, I know, Kurt Vonnegut and a lot of other people, they, they have um, tips for writing. And one of Vonnegut's is start as close to the end of the story as you can. Um, so I think that Wallace really took that and ran. He said, oh, yeah, hold my beer. Hold my nardle. Uh, this, this actually takes place a year after the book ends. Um, so how... <laughs> Hal is in the uh, the University of Arizona. Um, he seems like kind of an application type interview or or something like that. Um, and what, what do you? And again, because we have covered this before, um, we will try to just kind of highlight and again this is just an attempt but um i don't know what do you make of this and let's not let's not treat this as if we are just starting the novel and that we've never seen these words in this order before um so you know given that we've both read the book etc um what do you make of the start of this? Well, obviously we have I am, which has been mentioned before. Um, 
the first line of Hamlet is who's there. The first two words of infinite jest are I am. Um, so this is, I, I mean, it seems very, very clearly to be from Hal's perspective. Um, and so, so, so you're on Liz, what do you think? I'm on. That's a big question. I feel like it's such a big, a big question to ask because being what kicks off this book, this scene, I feel like this scene more than any other scene garners, like gets the conversation going. It's what people remember. People wonder, they ask about the DMZ and this and that, like, it's the big question mark of the book, uh, for me. For yeah. me, it is. And so to ask, like, what do I make of it? It's like, you know, sometimes I still don't know what to make of it. I find myself, I get so frustrated that Wallace is like, no, like, I didn't leave any, I didn't really leave any loose ends in the book. It should all be obvious. By the time you've read it, you should, you should pretty, it's pretty obvious. And I'm like, is it? I never feel like it is. Maybe I'm creating more problems, but you know, he, <laughs> what do I make of it? I mean, the thing that I always take away from this scene is the complete, um, I have it written in my book. This whole scene is a non-trusting of one's own perception, a non-trusting yes. of one's own perception. And I think, um, yeah, riff, go for it. <laughs> if you have an interjection, go for it. Yeah. The, uh, one, two, three, the fourth paragraph starts. I believe I appear neutral, maybe even pleasant. So, so yeah, Hal, who, who has memorized the Oxford English Dictionary and is an expert on a multitude of things, um, his appearance not being one of them. Yeah, his appearance, not one of them, maybe like just where he is in space, talking about Charles sitting in the chair to what I hope is my immediate right, like just not really, you know, um, and Another, oh, sorry. Another thing that comes to mind when I have read this over and over is in the language describing these administrators, their, their physical appearance, actually, yep. I get, it's either one of them or more than one. I think it might just be one. I don't know which one. Looking like the yellow happy face symbol oh. of the 90s. So let me, where is that? It's he's the dean at left, a lean yellowish man whose fixed smile nevertheless has the impermanent quality of something stamped into uncooperative material. And I think it comes back. There's a couple other times maybe where it, it refers to this and it makes me wonder. Yeah. Mm, yeah. The. Yeah, it's a little like kind of postmodern questioning of authority. Let me like I'll come back to it. I want you to talk, but I'll come back to it yeah. as we go into it. I no, I think that's a great point. The um yeah, the yellow smiley face picture. Um uh it it is funny that um here it's almost the uh dean whomever it is is He's, you are heralding Candenza, 18, date of secondary school graduation, approximately one month from now. Um, so this is, you know, in fantasy, they call it like world building. Like, 
where you kind of make a timeout just to fill everybody in on the world that they're living in. And it's, it's a very lazy, I don't know if that's the right word, but it kind of seems to be, but it's also effective, right? Um, Hmm. You know, the book starts and the, the book starts at the end and you don't know what's going on. So here, I mean, we don't know what's going on, coincidentally or not. Hal may not know what's going on. So here you have the uh, administrator telling him, here's who you are, how old you are, what you're doing here. Uh, he, he's So Hal, so what we know is that from the end of the book to the beginning of the book, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, I mean, think about at the end of the book, there's that interrogation scene, which again, if we are to take as truth, Hal, or I'm sorry, Oren is being quasi tortured and his mom is there and like, basically Everybody has been interrogated, questioned, tortured, um, killed, you know, uh, for the sake of the entertainment. Um, I often wonder what is the family dynamic like after that? I mean, I know Oren and his mom weren't talking, but does Oren happen to mention this to Hal? You know, Hal, you wouldn't believe this shit that went down. Like, they're brothers. Um, so yeah, this is like you said, Liz, one of kind of the enduring mysteries. Um, a lot of the mysteries of this book are what happens that we don't read. And I would think one is what happens, um, at that tennis meet, right? Because we know the terrorists, are dressed up like tennis people in wheelchairs and beards. Um, and that something certainly goes down there. Um, and then I would say the other one is what has gone down from the end of the book, the actual physical book to the beginning here. Um, Mm. and so I do think, you know, Wallace doesn't spell it out for us quite as neatly, uh, as he does with Hal here, but there are definitely clues here. Um, the one of, of the things that I noticed. So, um, yeah, you mentioned Uncle Charles, CT, Charles Tavis, Chuck. Um, he is referred to by all of these names. Um, in this section. And I get it that different people call people different things, but I do think it's weird that, you know, there's one narrator we think, and there's other people talking and yet uncle Charles, you know, just so Chuck and that according to Chuck here, Hal has already justified his seed. Oh, thank God. I saw that justified his seed. I think is huge. Um, going, going there. 
Uh, yes. And also, you know, going back to the garage scene from last week or whatever, that's what we're talking about. Justifying your seed is basically living up to your potential. Um, before the tournament, they say, hey, you're, you're this. This is what your stats say. Um, so you're going to be the three seed, which means all things being equal, you're the third best player in this tournament. So if you come in third, you've justified your seed. You haven't technically, I guess, done anything more. You haven't played above your potential, but you haven't shit the bed. Um, so, and then, yeah, of course, there is the play on, you know, the Onan with spilling the seed. Um, but justifying his seed, I want to say, is mentioned two or three times right in this section um because there's at the bottom of page four, four but yeah yep sure yeah oh and at the bottom of page five yeah you're right mm -hmm. so so that is definitely um you know an important theme in the book and again that's yeah. something that did not jump out at me two months ago, you know, yeah. when we did this. Um, so yeah, I would keep an eye, not only on those words, justifying your seed, but the whole idea of living up to your potential. Um, the other thing that I noticed was silence, the different kinds of silence and the repetition of the word silence. Um, there is a silence. Delint shifts back, blah, blah, blah. Next paragraph. There is a new silence. Um, you know, a lot of, yeah. we think silence is the absence of sound. How many different kinds of silence can there be, right? Mm -hmm. There's a carbonated silence, which yep. I love. I am definitely going to steal that for my next conversation. You should. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's my silent response to the expectant silence begins to affect the air of the room. Um, so, so yeah, a lot yeah. of silence, um, different kinds of silence. And um, we will, I, I don't know exactly where it is, but we're, we're going to, we're kind of, uh, Reader's Digest version, maybe. Um, it mentions that the uh, the championship, the the tenant, the indoor championship, is in Edmonton this year. Um, I don't know if that means anything, but Edmonton is in Quebec. Um, so, okay. you know, a year after something went down of international importance. The indoor tennis championship is in Quebec. Um, again, it may have been scheduled there. I don't know, but I did think that is, uh, that was interesting. Um, so what do you make of Hal's essays here? Uh, we thus invite you to explain the appearance of incongruity, if not outright 
shenanigans. Um, <laughs> and then CT, surely by incredible, you meant very, very, very impressive, as opposed to literally, quote, incredible, surely. Um, and then, then there is the matter before us of uh, uh, the matter of not the required two, but nine separate application essays, some of which are nearly monograph length, each without exception being different sheet. The adjective various evaluators used was, quote, stellar. Um, so, and so, but in areas and with titles, neoclassical assumptions in contemporary prescriptive grammar, the implications of post-Fourier transformations for a holographically mimetic cinema, the emergence of heroic stasis and broadcast entertainment, uh, Montague grammar, semantics of physical modality, a man who began to suspect he was made of glass, and tertiary symbolism in Justinian erotica. So what is up with Hal writing all these essays? Don't we get to read one of these? Don't we get to read the emergence of heroic stasis in broadcast we, entertainment, which he didn't even get a good grade on. That one was no. like, he got docked. So he, then he submits it to university anyway. Yeah, that was his Hawaii Five O. Yeah, yeah. Essay, and at the end of it, you had pointed out uh, last time. At the end of it, he says, "That's what's next." You know, he kind of says, "What's next for American entertainment?" The hero of inaction, which that is what this is, right? Uh, <laughs> heroic, heroic stasis. Um is a hero of inaction. Um, do you think Hal wrote all these essays? Like a man, yes. who a man who began to suspect he was made of glass sounds like one of himself's movie titles. I think it is actually, yeah. Okay. I think that one actually is. Um, so then did it become an essay form? That wouldn't surprise me. He wrote, didn't he? He comments on a lot of himself's films and is able to he go does. in like significant depth about their movie. <laughs> so that one wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I, but the reason for why would he write about that? Like for what it makes me think is what does, what psychologically personally resonates with Hal about that title and about the meaning of it? You know, like why, why does he like that? that what does he relate to it? You know? Um, does he think he's transparent? Well, I mean, what are the implications? Actually, go ahead and talk. I want to look something up. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I wonder if Hal got some help on some of these, uh, the prescriptive grammar, obviously he could have been helped out by Avril. Um, you know, and, and maybe it's just a huge overcompensation, right? Like maybe they know that, fuck man, if they, if they ask him to pronounce his last name, we're fucked. So maybe we'll just bury them in essays and A++++ pluses, and maybe we'll just scoot out of here. There, there, there could be that as well. Hmm. Hmm. Um, 
I mean, yeah, it could be. Yeah, the man who began to suspect he was made of glass. So the description, a man undergoing intensive psychotherapy discovers that he is brittle, brittle, hollow, and transparent to others and becomes either transcendentally enlightened or schizophrenic. Okay. Um, yeah, I, so basically... Because, because when you are so concerned with how you appear to others. Mm -hmm. I think this is a huge theme of the book. You lose your shit. Like it's so disorienting. It's like trying to scuba dive in a muddy lake and you actually, it's so murky. You don't know what's up, what's down. You don't know where to go. It's like, it's absolutely disorienting. And um, and yeah, I mean, that's the theme of this whole chapter is Hal's concern with how he appears to others. And it's like, it's paralyzing and um, for sure could have schizophrenic implications. But yeah. Um, yeah, to me, like, I don't know. One thing I wanted to like kind of bring up is like what um, psychological aspects of this scene resonate with you? As far as like, do you see yourself as, have you ever felt like how in this scene? Do, is there any part of him that like, you connect with yeah yeah i i think it's interesting that he is making presumably because we can't fact check it but presumably he is making accurate assessments about the appearance of everybody else at the table including hand size color smell um but he can't tell if he's smiling, um, which you know, we had talked about the videophony when um, the part of that that I thought was interesting was that the reason videophony failed is not, and it, it frankly, is not even mentioned what the other person looked like on these video calls. Everybody was so obsessed with the way they looked. So, um, yeah. and here, you know, it, it may be similar in that Hal is noticing everything at the table, including what the exit sign would mean if it were in Latin, but he can't tell you if he has a smile. Are you saying that you connect to that personally? Sometimes, or sometimes I, I can connect with that um in that it i feel like without words a lot of stuff is left up to the other person you know mark twain said it's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're an ass than to open it and prove them right i don't know um you know because if you're talking you're interfacing you are controlling the impression or, or at least you're projecting. You think you are. Right. Yeah. You're at least given an opportunity to project how you want to be seen or heard or perceived. What about, what about you? 
you can try, but the whole thing is the clincher is that you literally are out of completely out of control about like how anyone will perceive you at any given time. I mean, based on their makeup and their filters, what does this thing say? Like, I promise you, I would tell you everything you want to hear and more if I could, if the words I say, if I could guarantee that's what you would hear, you know, it's like, this is the dilemma is how do I make myself understood? It's the other Wallace quote, like, uh, how strange I can have all of this inside me. And yet, and to you, it's just words, um, that like, can we ever make ourselves understood? Do we, is that a thing? Like, is that possible? I feel that all the time. I feel it every day, almost every time I speak that, I don't know, even in this podcast, that the things I want to say, I don't know that they're going to come out. And I don't know that they're going to be heard in the way that I want them to. Um, even someone who's so good at words, like Wallace, like yeah. you could, it's obvious that- And how. This, and how, of course, yeah. That this is an Achilles heel. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I had- skipped over um so there's this section here now we had talked about this the single quote rather than the actual quotation marks and i believe the single quote means that it's kind of a recollection um you know saying yeah liz said and then it would be a single quote Um, if it's me recounting what you said, um, but there's this part here. So after Hal's questioned about all this stuff, uh, he said, well, the narrative says the essays are old ones. Yes, but they are mine. De moi, but they are yes. Old, not quite on the applications instructed subject of most meaningful education educational experience ever, all capitalized. Um, If I, well, no, just the first letters capitalized. If I'd done you one from the last year, it would look to you like some sort of infant's random stabs on a keyboard and to you who use whomsoever as a subject. So that seems like Hal is talking, right? Um, but yeah, but it doesn't, it it doesn't seem to have been heard because it is most certainly not reacted to. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sure. I've never noticed Uh, that. Good point. Um, and there is one part and and maybe we just haven't gotten to it yet um but we do know that hal still lives at eta again part of that world building um hal for all of his shortcomings he still has his senses right because we hear about what he sees what he hears what he feels what he smells And I know that that is kind of, those are coping mechanisms for like anxiety and things. I've heard, you know, list five things you can smell and the loudest thing you can hear, et cetera. Yeah. I think Uh, it's called anchoring. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is, you know, a lot of that going on. Um, 
he Hal says there's the familiar panic at feeling misperceived. So this is nothing new. Um, you know, and I don't know, Liz, I, I, I'm sure you have, but I know I have where you like fear the worst about something and you say, all right, you know, and, and you do everything under your power to avoid that happening, but you know, goddamn well, it's going to happen. So I really feel like as these cats walk in this office, the ending is all but assured. You know, it's not going to go well. Hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Hal says he's been coached for this like a Don at a Rico hearing, but that he cannot make himself understood. Um, so, so, yeah, th- there's a lot of this. Um, how could I not be accused of using you? Um, so uh, an interesting point. I've heard a lot of people ask, what is up with Hal's NASA glass? Um, I don't necessarily know what's up with Hal's NASA glass, but I do know that the University of Arizona ha- is a partner of NASA and that there is actually a huge laboratory at the University of Arizona that is built directly under the football field. Um, How do you know that? Because uh, I looked it up on the internet. Awesome. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. And then, and then we flash back here, right, to, uh, to the... Um, day when Hal ate the mold and it starts with it's funny what you don't recall is it (laughs) um and so yeah and this probably speaks to what you had mentioned the um the perception or perception versus reality and the authority of a narrative so here we have, as far as I can tell, Hale's recollection of what Oren told him that he did, um, which is probably not the most reliable narrative. But um, so, yeah, Oren tells Hal that Hal came out while the moms was getting dragged around by the rototiller. And he says he ate this mold. Mom went batshit, but I do love her comeback. I ate this. I said, pardon me. <laughs> but, um, but it makes me wonder, was he misunderstood even then? <laughs> right. It, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a great point. Not, yeah, not when did you eat this, how much, why? Yeah. Can you clarify, basically? Um, so then uh, Avril goes batshit um, and O gaped at his first real sight of adult hysteria. Um, gardens laid out twine. Okay, so, and then we go right back, you know, kind of mid-sentence 
Oh, okay. Lapping me twice before the memory recedes. So that must just be a, a daydream. Um, an interesting one. My application's not bought, I'm telling them. And there is a single quote there. Can I, I go read... back to this? Um, sorry, I'm no, interrupting you. Let no, me know if you... Okay, I just want to, for the people listening who love this book and the continuous debate that goes on out there about this mold the DMZ, the correlation, like what have been your thoughts on that? Just like, do you have a way in on that? I think it's a MacGuffin. I, I okay. don't think, I don't think that this, I think this mold has more to do with the mold under the bed when himself and his father are trying to fix the bed than it does with the DMZ. Um, I frankly, the DMZ is something that I am uncertain on. I don't think that Hal got dosed by a wraith. Um, I'm just, I'm not buying that. Um, if he got dosed at all, my guess would be it was by Pemulus. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? No, I've been with you. Like, for the entirety that I've known about this book and have read this book that I just thought it was like, oh, it's so like, I was like, oh, kind of a lame hypothesis. I just thought, oh, it's a little too here and there. But this past time, I just found myself wondering, what if though, what if like the fact that Wallace says like, it's obvious, I'm like, maybe this was his trying to be obvious about what it all is for. Why did Hal freak out? Why did Hal freak out? Is it that obvious? And so I opened my mind to it just a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. I was curious what you thought. Yeah, I, I am at least as interested in figuring out Hal's starting point um, because I am as of yet unconvinced that Hal is this perfectly adjusted teenage boy who you know, I, I, I will definitely get into it more, but I just, there are very few instances that I see that and even fewer instances when it comes from someone else. I mean, to me, it's not a sophisticated thread to pull like the DMC yeah. thread. It's not sophisticated, but it is interesting that like you had John Wayne, someone full of incredible potential get dosed or you know, maybe, I don't remember what happened with John Wayne, to be honest. Did he take drugs on purpose and it was too much? Did he, I, do you remember what he, happened? Yeah. Um, shocked or Trolch was, um, taking Pemulus's tenuate and putting yeah. them in his, uh, Seldane or oh, antihistamine bottle. So presumably John Wayne was having some allergies. So he, uh, so he yeah. took some speed. But this, okay, sure. So you have like a, we don't really know what happened with John Wayne. I don't know if the reason why Hal says later in this little section, he oh. definitely would have won or should have won. Was it because he was disqualified because of this debacle? Was his potential dashed on the rocks because of drugs? So many people's- Or was he killed? Dashed, or was he, <laughs> okay, sure. But I anyway, mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we will get to that. Wayne and then uh, potential being ruined by whatever. 
Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's so obvious. Like I said, it's not sophisticated, but I have been wondering. But, but it's there. That's for sure. It's there. Yeah. Um, all right. So when Hal does talk, everybody kind of loses their shit. Uh, Hal gets tackled. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the I'm here. Okay. In this section and throughout the book. Um, it's this one. Part, it's all right. I'm here. The director is calling into my ear. Um, there's the other part where Hal says, I am in here. There's a part later in the book where Mario says, you know, in here, AA talks about being out there. So I, I do think the, the in here, out there, like actually occupying space and time is, um, is definitely kind of hammered home throughout the book. What does that say to you about like the, just the human experience of, you know, I'm in here. I think that the map is not the territory, right? Like, and there's the head is body. Um, Is it though? Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, if I kick the wall, it hurts. It, it hurts me, but was that me that did that? You know, because in, in this is water, you know, really hammers this home. Like the head seems to be the, uh, executive functioning center of us. Um, and you know, I think it's the narrative saying, you know, I am not maybe these things that I do. Um, I am sentient. I am a thinking individual. And that part of me is in here. Maybe it can't get out. Um, Cause right after that, right after the director says I'm here, uh, Hal says, there is nothing wrong. I say slowly to the floor. I'm in here. Hmm. I am not what you see and hear. Um, I'm not, I say. So it's like this total, I mean, is this the philosophy of Wallace? Like this Cartesian <clears throat> ideal of like, okay, I'm not what you see and hear. I am my brain. Like I am the, th- the thoughts I'm able to think, which I could, b- because of these thoughts I have that are so like, I've read, I have, I've read libraries, consumed libraries. It's all up in here. I could interface you under the table b- based on what's in here. To me, it's just like a limitation of Wallace actually, just based on, I mean, I come from a wellness industry, so I study like health and well-being and the, even just the research that's come out post Wallace about what it means to, um, what it means to be sentient and how so many other systems are at play in your neurological functioning, how like, it's not just like a command center, like sending messages throughout the body, but like the body also, like, it's like a constant communication. And so anyway, I, I see this as this obsession with intellect, which can you slight Wallace for being obsessed with this intellect? 
I don't know, like he clearly was in everything. And this is a criticism of his writing by so many people that like, he's just showing off like how smart he is. But, um, but yeah, it, 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 where it takes me, this is getting unrelated to infinite chess now, but where it takes me is that, um, to be disconnected from your body, which maybe he was and Hal definitely has evidence to be, to be disconnected from your body in that way can lead to such a slippery downward slope of health and of vitality and of what it means to be a full human being in this world, in this life. And anyway, it's sad. It just like makes me depressed. It just makes me sad that like, man, we go through everything thinking it's just here. Like there's so much more, there's so much more. Um, and so I, and I, there, I'm not like a radical feminist, but I also find it to be a very male thing, <laughs> a very male thing that when I read this, I just think like, ah, oh, these men, they just think this is what it's all about, but Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that, you know, because frankly, you know, and maybe that is what is tragic is that no one will ever see us for the whole of our being. Like, yeah, I will never, if, if I talk to you nonstop for a month, I would never know all that you know. I would never know all that you've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is so much more than even nine goddamn essays. Um, mm. There are a couple of two parts in here that I'm looking for, and I'm not going to look very hard. But um, while you're looking, like for anyone who loves Wallace and for this, um, this thing, this theme that he constantly harps on. Um, if you haven't read the, I guess it's from good old neon in oblivion, but the thing where he starts to talk about, like, have you read it, Jamie? Yes. Where he talks about the keyholes, right? Like as if we're all trying to see each other through these tiny keyholes, right. And the only, like the entire universe is within you, but we're all trying to see within it says, um, I'm looking at the quote right now, this, the um da, 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 da. this is what it's like that's that it's what makes room for the universes inside you all the endless invent fractals of connection and symphonies of different voices the infinities you can never show another soul and you think it makes you a fraud the tiny fraction anyone else ever sees of course you're a fraud of course what people see is never you and of course, you know this. And of course, you try to manage what part they see if you know it's only a part. Who wouldn't? It's called free will, Sherlock. But at the same time, it's why it feels so good to break down and cry in front of others or to laugh or speak in tongues or chant in Bengali. It's not English anymore. It's not getting squeezed through any hole. Yeah. 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 yeah this theme, this this is like, this to me is what brings me to all. Jamie, I feel like when you come to Infinite Jest, you have this incredible analytic mind that when I read the book, I don't see it through your eyes. And I love seeing it through your eyes in this conversation in all of these book clubs. For me, I get, I feel more human than ever, which is what so many people say reading Wallace, but the, I want to know what other people feel when they read this. Like, have you ever felt that way? Does this connect to you? Like, have you felt so misunderstood or so limited by the skin you're in? I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree, Liz. And um, 
you know, where I think a lot of people get caught up in the low hanging fruit, you know, uh, is the DMZ, did it react with the mold and did it, uh, you know, is, point. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, is Joelle super hot or is, did she get acid in the face? Again, I don't think those are things are as important um, as we might think. Um, I found this one part that I was oh, looking yeah. for. I expend energy on remaining utterly silent um, in my chair, empty. N my eyes, two great pale zeros, which is a great sentence because silence does not require energy. It requires a lack of making sound. Um, but he's expending great energy and his eyes are two great pale zeros. And then people have promised to get me through this. Um, so you got to think that he's talking about Tavis because Tavis is there. But the very next line, even though it's a new paragraph, says Uncle CT, though, has the pinched look of the cornered. Um, so what else so, yeah. is new with CT? So, yeah. and, but it, it's the word though, as if he was not maybe one of those people who have promised to get him through this. Um, so yeah, the, mm -hmm. the, so this is the whole paragraph. Uncle Charles is asking coach white to ask the Dean of athletics, whether the weather overscores, blah, blah, blah. So there he's referred to as uncle Charles. The very next paragraph, Uncle C.T., though, has the pinched look of the cornered. Um, so assuming these are thoughts, who the fuck refers to someone? You know, it would be like me narrating my life here. So Liz joined the call and uh, we got ready. And then I noticed Miss Elizabeth went to go get some water. What? No, we don't talk like that. Um, it's good, so weird sounding. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the other part, Hal somewhere in here says that he is an infantophile. Yes. And I looked it up An infantophile is someone who has sexual desire for infants, which again is super weird because we're going to assume that Hal's not using the wrong word. I'm going to assume even further that DFW is not using the wrong word. Um, and then Hal does mention that if he had handed in work from the past year, it would have looked like an infant's random stabs at the keyboard. Um, so I don't think there's answers here yet, but I, I do think that that is interesting that he's yeah. referring so um i have become an infantophile okay yes hmm. so i so, have a question mark written next to it in my book too like good for you liz this, what is this question good um, and i don't i mean if, if we're just going to make guesses did it start with the meeting with the hugging of the bear um, you know, I don't know. Unless it was the 
yeah watching the entertainment right with um yeah all right so uh yeah hal and obviously this is not hal's first time getting taken to a psych center i mean he mentions the last time i was in the hospital was a year ago or something like that um Mm. the stretcher is the special type with restraining straps at the extremities. Um, it is a special ambulance dispatched from I'd rather not dwell on where with not only paramedics, but some kind of psych psychiatric MD on board. Um, and CTs on the phone. And then the issue whether the damaged even have interested wills is shallowly hashed out as some sort of ultra mock fighter too high overhead to hear slices the sky from south to north. So again, presumably in this continental type emergency that's happened, well, we've got some sort of fighter jet flying, presumably from Mexico because they're in Arizona and it's going south to north. Hmm. And yeah, the psychiatric stretcher. And um, I didn't get this. So um, I will be conveyed to an emergency room of some kind where I will be detained as long as I do not respond to questions. And then... When I do respond to questions, I will be sedated. So it will be inversion of standard travel, the ambulance and ER. I'll make the journey first and then depart. Any idea what that means? Hmm. I'll make the journey first and then depart. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. What do you think uh, then? I have no idea. Yeah, no, I've always had this um, like bracketed in my book too. I didn't know like the simple read into it in my book was um, the sedation, like departing. Uh, okay. But yeah, I've also found this cryptic. Yes. Um, all right. And yeah, this part I love, I think very briefly of the late Cosgrove Watt. I think of the hypophalangeal grief therapist. I think of the moms alphabetizing cans of soup in the cabinet over the microwave of himself's umbrella hung by its handle from the edge of the mail table, just inside the headmaster's house's foyer. The bad ankle hasn't ached once this whole year. I think of John and R. Wayne, who would have won this year's Whataburger, standing watch in a mask as Donald Gately and I dig up my father's head. There's very little doubt that Wayne would have won. Um, okay, so tonight's winner, blah, blah, blah. And... Yes. Yeah, so it's this part, though. I think very briefly of the late Cosgrove Watt. I think of the hypophalangeal 
blah, blah, blah. Um, and I would contrast that to the end of On the Road of all fucking books. Um, hmm. Where is it? I have the whole thing. The evening star must be drooping and shedding her sparkler dims on the prairie, which is just before the coming of complete night that blesses the earth, darkens all rivers, cups the peaks and folds the final shore in. And nobody, nobody knows what's going to happen to anybody besides the forlorn rags of growing old. I think of Dean Moriarty. I even think of old Dean Moriarty, the father we never found. I think of Dean Moriarty, which is just, it's funny to me. I, I don't know that it symbolizes anything and I'm still so glad he put it in there. <laughs> okay. um, Mm. But I, I I also can't imagine Wallace thumbing through on the road. I would imagine he'd rather rip his eyeballs out with the business end of a hammer. But um, so next, Ken or Daddy waiting for the woman who said she would come. Um, so what we get here, we get some backstory about. Uh, I believe it's Ducey, the uh, the hair-lipped snake owner, um, who we will hear more about, although I don't believe we ever meet him. Um, and we get the first of many of these recit resuscitations, recit uh, repeated instances of, well... I'm going to go out with one last hurrah and then I'm going to burn all my paraphernalia and I'm going to tell the person that I bought weed from to never, ever sell me weed again. Um, and just this very introverted um, paralysis thinking that I would say is so, so very common with addicts. Um, and, and I don't know if it's specifically marijuana, but I, I, I do think he has nailed this one. Have you smoked weed before? I have. And I've also been around people that, you know, you, you've heard, well, you know, you can't be addicted or you can't blah, blah, bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I had a roommate, a good friend of mine, who that was his thing. His thing was was weed. Um, it's never been my thing. Do I enjoy it? Yeah. But I'm not going to get up and smoke a bong and be high all day. That's, just, that's not my thing. Hmm. Um, but there are plenty of people that are like that and who are addicted as badly as anybody else is addicted to anything. That's true. Um, I have definitely been that person. That And it's just so spot on the whole, you know, well, I'm going to tell her it's for my friends so that when I call, it's not me looking like a dope fiend. It's, hey, you know what? This isn't a big deal to me. And really, I probably shouldn't even done this. I'm trying to do a favor for my buddy. And now he's blowing me up. And I'm sorry to even bother you. But any idea on a time frame just so I can get him off my ass. Mm. Um, 
very, very common. Lies. Yep. Um, and yeah, he goes into the preparations that he takes to get high. Cause, and I guess this is the basic difference. Jerry Garcia said the difference between alcoholics and everybody else, when everybody else is drinking, like you might get to that point where you say the wrong word or you stutter or you, you stumble and you say, Whoa, all right. That must mean enough. But for alcoholics, that means gentlemen, start your engines. Like, mm -hmm. all right, you know, now, now we can get moving. Um, and, and you can see that here with their daddy. He's not saying I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a new bong and really fucking get down. No, he buys a new bong. He gets, has everything mathematically planned out. You know, if I smoke. 35 one hitters over the course of blah, blah, blah. I'll go through all the weed. I'll get plenty high enough and maybe a little too high so that I know I never want to do this again. And I have cookies and I have lube and I have movies and I have, and I moved my car and I moved my, you know, yeah. juxtapose that with me and you going to a concert, Liz, and maybe saying, Hey, you want to burn this joint? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. And we smoke a joint and eat a falafel. You know, I mean, this is this is not even the same area code. Um, you know, and yeah. you, I think you see it with all substances. But later in the book, we see it with Portoni when they're trying to score dope on Christmas Eve. Because they also have to score dope for Christmas because they know it's Christmas. So even though that's tomorrow, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it's their life. Addiction is their life. Um, and I think he does a great job here uh, explaining that. Um, Have you ever known anyone who's addicted who said, I'm going to kick this addiction and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do so much that's going to make me hate it. Like I I've known addicts, but I've like reading this is the first time I ever heard that one. How about you? I've heard it and it's been a while, but with cigarettes, like oh, really? I, I need to quit smoking cigarettes. So one thing that's going to make me do it is smoking a pack of them in an hour. Cause I'm going to get so fucking sick mm. that I'm never going to want to smoke again. Um, Gately in the, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Um, but Gately, the reason he smokes Newports is because he was trying to quit and he hated Newports. So he bought Newports and said, well, this will make me quit. But now he just loves smoking Newports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tricky shit. Um, yeah. Which may be more common. Um, so, yeah, if you don't have anything else about this section, I think we can move on. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, let's move on. It's all good. The professional conversationalist. Um, so, yeah, Hal rides his bike to meet with this professional conversationalist. Uh, interestingly enough, there is soda here, too, just like in the first uh, scene. Um, 
Also, this was originally the first scene in the book. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And after it was kind of rearranged to make the other part, the first part, probably just be an asshole. But um, that was a Michael Peach. May have been. That's, I wanted to ask you, what would you think, say you were advising someone reading this book for the first time, I was thinking last night, it might make more sense to skip the first chapter. Like for a first time reader, what does that first chapter do other than maybe that one paragraph that says your Hal you live at ETA, you're 18 years old and you play tennis. Other than that, I don't know. It's just like a barrier to entry. I think, I think so many people are like, it's too much. It's for me, the first paragraph of the book, I was like, I'm going to love this book. So it had the opposite effect on me, but um, yeah, for most people, they, they try to plug on, but then it's just like, what's happening. I'm confused. And I also think that it's kind of like, Wallace flexing, uh, like, or, or just being able to say, you, you know, um, well, I, what are you talking about? I told you all this in the first chapter. <laughs> like, what don't you understand? It says right there that Hal was digging up his father's head. How is this a difficult book? You know, but of course, it's, pages and weeks and months later and it's hard to remember things that you can't tie to something so just hearing all these details means nothing yeah that's very true so So, uh hmm. so yeah i i don't I love that first chapter and I think it's incredible. And I I think the meaning changes every time I read it, but I don't know that it's necessary or even helpful for a first time reader to start there. Um, But here we have 14 year old Hal visiting the professional conversationalist. Well, he's 10. No, that's right. I'll be 11 in June. Right. Yes. What the fuck is going on here? I don't know. It's himself being out of touch. Well, so Hal was sent down here by his, by his mom and dad, right? Mm Mm-hmm. He says, I'm kind of wondering why my dad sent me down. You know, your door there doesn't have anything on it. Are you a dentist? Um, mm-hmm. So you're here to converse. Does it ever say his mom sent him or only his dad? It says something that Avril, um, you know, mom. Mom put yeah. you up to this. Did mom put you up to this? It's yes. Is is himself still having this hallucination I never speak? Is that why he put the moms up to having me bike up here? Himself mm. is my dad. We call him himself, as in, quote, the man himself, as it were. Um, so, so ultimately, where this scene, uh, the scene ends up is how basically saying jesus christ like hell 
realizes it's his father dressed up as a professional conversationalist and not well, right? Do you remember the first thing, the first clue or, or maybe the first definite idea? Hale notices, recognizes his father's sweater. Mm-hmm. So again, we're trying to take a look at Hal and see where is Hal's starting point. We know his ending point. So here Hal sits in an office with his father with a mask on. I would like to think that I would recognize my father regardless of a mask that he's wearing. That's what his voice sounds like. And he's wearing his sweater. Mm -hmm. Um, But Hal spends quite a bit of time going back and forth here before realizing that it is his father. Um, And so the conversationalist father says to Hal, you think we haven't thoroughly researched your own connection connection with the whole current intra-provincial crisis in southern Quebec? Uh, what intra-provincial provincial crisis? I thought you wanted to talk racy mosaics. Oh, right, because he talks about Byzantine erotica. Um, so it part of me was wondering, because this does read almost like an interrogation, right? Do you for one... Do you for one moment think that a professional plier of the trade of conversation would fail to probe deep into your family's sordid liaison with the pan-Canadian resistance's notorious M. Duplessis and his malevolent but allegedly irresistible amanuensis cum operative Luria P? Listen, are you okay? Um, so... So, yeah, I, I don't understand why himself slash the conversationalist is, is broaching these subjects. Well, yeah, I don't either. I mean, with your 10-year-old kid, it's a little bit. I mean, but we knew himself as paranoid about mm-hmm. Avril and knows what's up. But it's also like his sort of getting in way into the weeds like getting into the weeds of these topics, which like, I'm so happy you brought up the garage scene, which is like exactly what his own dad would do drinking and just getting way out in the weeds on shit. And his son's not responding. I mean, JOI in that scene is like silent the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I certainly don't have anything concrete, but I did think it was interesting. Um, So back to conversational of the fact that photos of the aforementioned liaison being linked to Der Spiegel resulted in the bizarre deaths of both an Ottawa paparazzo and a Bavarian international affairs editor of an alpenstock through the abdomen and an ill-swallowed cocktail onion, respectively. Uh, Hell's like, yeah, come again here. Uh, That you could dare to imagine we'd fail conversationally to countenance certain weekly, shall we say, 
maternal assignations with a certain unnamed bisexual bassoonist in the Albertan Secret Guards Tactical Bands Unit. Gee, is that the exit over there I see? Uh, that you're blithe in attention to your own dear grammatical mother's cavortings with not one, not two, but over 30 Near Eastern medical attaches. Would it be rude to tell you your mustache is askew? That her introduction of esoteric mnemonic steroids, stereo. Yes, stereochemically not dissimilar to your father's own daily hypodermic megavitamin supplement derived from a certain organic testosterone regeneration compound uh, into your innocent looking bowl of morning Ralston. Um, so, So basically in this scene, himself keeps saying, I'm a professional conversationalist. You can tell because this, these are the things that a professional conversationalist would do, but they don't have a conversation. Um, but himself does tell Hal that his mom is fucking everything with a dick and um, that she gives Hell steroids. And that the uh, composition materials identical to the gyroscopic balance sensor and mise-en-scene appropriation card and preapistic entertainment cartridge implanted in your very own towering father's anaplastic cerebrum after his cruel series of detoxifications and convolution smoothings and gastrectomy, et cetera, et cetera. So this seems to be the impetus of the entertainment being in himself's head, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, okay. Uh, I'm looking up these um, medical procedures he had. Look to me. Do you know that's this one? I know that I looked them up before. Oh, it's not. But real. I can't remember. Oh, the so. surgical removal of the penis. Is the what? The surgical removal of the penis. Oh, is that phylloctomy? Yeah, and the prostatectomy, like sense. removing the prostate. Um, the pancreatectomy is probably the removal of the pancreas. Yes. Yes, for sure. Um, no, because it, it, when you brought up the steroids, the esoteric mnemonic, mnemonic steroids? What are yeah. mnemonic steroids? Um, M-N-E. You know, like... Oh, designed to aid the memory. Hmm. But right. yeah, not dissimilar to, you know, what sounds like her JOI is getting some kind of shamanic Viagra. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't it sound uh, like that to you? Anyway, but he's... A, a little. Yeah. So... 
for what? When I did a search for mnemonic steroids, I get an article steroids side effects nursing mnemonic six s's oh but a mnemonic thing is like you know it helps you remember oh okay the six s devices gotcha that makes sense the six s's all right so so yeah i thought um yeah so himself, the conversationalist. He's a professional conversationalist. And it seems like at least somewhere on his agenda is to interrogate Hal. But basically, the the professional is spilling the beans here, right? Mm. Like he doesn't get anything out of Hal, but he gives away the farm. Um, yep. Can't. Can't stop talking. Sounds like. No. No. Nope. Just venting, venting. Mm. Uh, yeah. And praying. It's like reverse therapist. Right? Yeah. 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 Praying for just one conversation that does not end in terror. That does not end like all the others. You staring, me swallowing. And then it ends. Son. Son. And then the next section starts. Another way fathers impact sons is that sons, once their voices have changed in puberty, invariably answer the telephone in the same way. Um, so, so yeah, the professional conversationalist, I, it's, it's wacky, right? Um, on one hand, you can kind of see how himself thinks that Hal is mute. Because he doesn't shut the fuck up and let him talk. True. Yeah. Um, in much the same way as the garage scene, where himself's father could easily have walked out of that garage and said, yeah, that kid doesn't talk. Well, no shit, because you won't shut the fuck up and let him. <laughs> uh, and I know there was a film about this. Um, I can't find it right now, but uh, the professional conversationalist does get his very own film. Um and yeah, I don't think that there's, uh, is this it? Sc- uh, no, de- dermatological endocrinologist. A lot of endocrinology happening in this book. Um, is that a function of the liver or like detoxifying, the de- detoxifying part of the? The endocrine system i think it's the spleen hormones yeah energy reproduction and development versus injury stress and mood um so yeah uh he does himself does make a movie about this professional conversation um, which by anyone's 
estimation seems to be a failure, right? What's the name of that film? I don't know. I'm looking. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. looking yeah so um oh um oh shit never mind sorry yeah there's a lot of them that that seem to be yeah there's as of your which is about the garage we talked about this a middle-aged tennis instructor preparing to instruct his son in tennis becomes oh, intoxicated yeah. in the family's garage oh yeah and and then the next one, the clever little bastard, unfinished, unseen, unreleased. <laughs> and in the was... oh, go ahead. I mean, I was just going to say, in the beginning of this footnote, it kind of breaks down what unfinished and unreleased might mean. Um, and, and basically, uh, thirdly, that is privately owned titled and subjected to critique but never filmed yeah <laughs> so so yeah liz i wrote a book it's called uh a century from the eyes of a brick um what do you think about it <laughs> we never filmed it like yeah there's no script even but i'd like to know what you think about it love to know your thoughts mm. yeah so um, we can, at some point, we will find the the film. I found it. It's it was a great marvel that he was in the Father without knowing him, which is like a blatant Christianity reference. Yeah, if you ask me. I think so, too. Um, is that at the end of his filmography? There it is. The Year of the Trial Size Dove Bar, Poor Yorick, Cosgrove Watt, Philip T. Smothergill. Six, five minutes, black and white, silent sound, a father, Watt, suffering from the delusion that his etymologically precocious son is pretending to be mute, poses as a professional conversationalist, released in interlaced talents, howls from the margin, underground film series. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, have you read a hundred years of solitude? No, I've read excerpts. This this book, in a lot of ways, reminds me of that. Um, just in the repetition of generations. Um, mm, cool. In, I'm sure I have hundred years of solitude somewhere around here, but but there's actually a family tree in the book. Uh, so that you can tell who is who, because a lot of them have the same names. So, you know, the general it has this name and this is his tragic flaw. Um, inevitably, his son, he names his son after himself and his son has the same tragic flaw, um, but they don't change anything. You know, they keep naming things the same thing um, a lot like himself and his father himself. Uh, but spoiler alert, in um, 100 Years of Solitude, basically what they find at the end was that 
their life has been written. Um, and they knew there was this super old guy like in a workshop writing, but they find out at the end that what he's writing is their story. So that they, what they are living has been preordained. And, and everybody knows except for them. Um, and so I, it had crossed my mind that maybe himself's filmography is that guy in the workshop writing, um, that that might be the kind of the guide or the family tree. Um, but so, uh, and then we have the hell phone. Yeah. So I think that that gets us through everything that we had covered in that first meeting. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I thought it was important to go over some of that stuff because there are plenty of things that I am probably mistaken on or um, just have gotten wrong. But if we, if we do reference that, in the future, which inevitably we will, that is what we are referencing. If uh, people listening want to offer their own thoughts, they, I know I'm happy to say you can reach out to Infinite Jest Book Club on Instagram. Jamie, are you comfortable sharing yours? Yeah, uh, my email address is, oh, it's uh, poor Yorick Bookseller on Instagram. Yeah, that's probably the easiest. Um, I wonder if yeah. anyone will actually say anything or like listen to this and then be like, here's what I think that'd be the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Um, and yeah, if, you know, people do listen, Hey, we appreciate it. But, uh, also <coughs> it, it's, you know, I feel like Mario ultimately, if we're just doing this for ourselves, that's just fine too. Um, <laughs> but the one thing that I just wanted to mention that I thought about again after the last meeting, I like I think that it's almost a given that himself's mom fucked Marlon Brando. Would you agree? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, I mean, if they're connected to the acting world, it would have been about the right generation. And assuming that like father, like son, et cetera, right. you know, and, you know, not to cast aspersions, but let's just assume that himself's mom had the uh, sexual selectivity of his wife. Mm. Um, but what if Marlon Brando is himself's dad? <laughs> Man, I love it. Fearless I, yeah, I just I meant to take a look at the time frame. Could um, be. I mean, himself is so accomplished, and his dad well, just like fuck up. Yeah, and it does say in the text how long ago it was that the mom was in that movie, um, and we do know that himself is ten in that scene uh there it is major thespian 
Uh, it's Mar your mother back in California before you were born, before she became a devoted mother and long suffering wife, your mother had a bit part in a Marlon Brando movie. So she had a part in the movie before he was born. Um, yeah. And it's Marlon Brando's fault. Your mother is a shover and a thruster, son. She mm -hmm. treats bodies outside herself without respect or due care. It's funny because I, I mentioned in one of these how little sex or masturbation or anything is happening here, except that they're always talking about it. And you had pointed out the, the pun earlier, justifying your seed. And here I think is another one that I think are easy to miss, but she treats bodies outside herself. What is the opposite of a body outside yourself? Right. It's a body inside you, right? Um, she's never learned that treating things in the gentlest, most relaxed way is also treating them and your own body in the most efficient way. Um, so, yeah, that just kind of, yeah, speaking of pot, that just kind of popped in my head. Um yeah, Marlon Brando was the archetypal new type actor who ruined it from afar. Who ruined it? Looks like two generations. Oh, looks like two two whole generations relations with their own bodies and the everyday objects and bodies around them. No? Well, it was because of Brando you were opening that garage door like that, Jimbo. Um, so speaking in terms of infinite jest. Like, it, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to make it my uh, campaign platform that Marlon Brando is Hal's grandfather. Hal's grandfather, but I think it's interesting. And then you know, interestingly enough, that himself's father would be spot on when he says that. Right, that the reason. Um, it was because of Brando, you were opening that garage door like that, Jimbo. That could be exactly correct. If, yeah, literal. Yeah. Well, and we had talked last time about uh, the medical attache maybe being Hal's father. Um, and look, what is required to make a child having sex we know that Oren had sex with the medical attache so it just going that far it's possible that the medical attache is hal's father because he fucked his mom i mean like just obviously with uh avril with avril things you know, there, there's a lot of potential, um, I, I don't know, sperm donors or whatever. Um, but I don't know. That's what I got. What do you got, Liz? Yep. No, I got nothing. Got nothing? 
All right. So what do you think happens at that meet? At the uh, the tennis meet where, where shit goes south? With the wheelchairs. Yeah. Because uh, presumably when Hal mentions in chapter one that the last, the only other time he was in a hospital was about a year before, that would have been at that time. So, so yeah, during the tennis meet, I can't remember the meet, the fundraiser, whatever, um, you know, where we are left is that the, there is a bus full of terrorists dressed up like high school tennis players on their way to ETA to have a little too much fun. Um, you know, their specific goals, I don't think are ever stated. I don't know if it's that they're there to kill people. Um, but something went down there that, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that blows the lid off. You know, I have thought, well, geez, if this many people are dying, how doesn't Boston know? Um, but that sort of thing does can fly under the radar, right? Like if you're not, you don't know that person or whatever, something like this, you've got to think regardless of exactly how it went down, you, you've got to think that people heard about it. Um, so we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right, Liz, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great chat. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for leaving it up and um, excited about the next one. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody else, and we will see you soon.